Brilliant. Um, We are reading tonight from Acts um, 28, verses 11 to 31, and you can find that in 1126 of your Red Pew Bibles. Um, But for any reason, if you want another language, they're all at the back, um, and page numbers are up on the screen. Um, Let's read from Acts 28, verse 11 to 31. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We pit in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Putali. Then we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they travelled as far as the Forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, "'My brothers,' Although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Amen. Well, it's a it's brilliant to be with you this evening, and it's a great privilege to be able to wrap up this series and this incredible book of the Bible, uh, the Acts, um, and and just to, to finish it off. And you've been on this journey, I think, for a few months now, since September, and we're closing it uh, this evening with Acts 28. But as we begin, let me just pray for us. Father, we do thank you for this incredible book of the Bible, Acts. And Lord, I thank you for all that this church has been learning through this series, all that you've been saying through your spirit of Christ, your son, and of the church, Lord. And we pray as we close this off, Lord, that again, you would show your your grace and your kindness to us in speaking into our hearts and our minds once again, so that our hearts and our minds might be drawn afresh to Jesus, and that we would be transformed into his likeness. That bit more this evening we pray, and we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. You cannot stop Jesus. That's how a friend of mine summarizes the whole of the Bible. And I think that's a good summary. As we as we think about the Gospels. You, you cannot stop Jesus. We just sung, there was a, all those songs were great, but we just sung a song there where we were remembering all of the, those ways in which Jesus was reaching out to people, helping them, showing his compassion. You cannot stop Jesus and his commitment to help and to save and to show his compassion. You cannot stop Jesus as he marches towards Jerusalem to his death. Even as he goes into death and the grave, you cannot stop Jesus because he rises again from the dead. One person said, if the the gospel wasn't a good news story, it would be, be a horror story because you just cannot stop Jesus. Even when you kill him, he comes back. You cannot stop Jesus. That's the message of the Bible. But it's also a great summary, I think, of this book of the Bible, uh, Acts. You cannot stop Jesus. In this series, you've seen prisons and persecution and, and suffering and storms and superpowers all trying to thwart Jesus and his church. But you cannot stop Jesus. This, this amazing book is about Jesus, the the risen and ascended King, Lord over all, who in heaven works through his people, the church, to reach the world and to turn it upside down. And that's what he does in this book through his people. It's, It's the global divine revolution that Jesus, and this is the good news of tonight, And this fact that Jesus invites us into his global divine revolution. And we're going to have a little look at the the rest of this chapter 28, just to see a bit what that looks like and where Luke the writer ends up. But just before we dive into Acts 28, let's let's just recap where we've been in this series. Can you think right back to the beginning? Who, who is here in that, that? You did Acts, Acts 1, 2, right? Okay, good. 
Was anyone here for that? Paul Matoli, what? Yeah, all the staff team are putting their hands up. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> okay. Can you remember Acts 1? So, oh, just before that, Jesus, he gathers all of his, his friends, those disciples, and he, he gives them that great commission. He says that, you know, all authority has been given to me, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Uh, and that's how uh, Acts begins. Jesus gathering his people and commissioning them, commissioning them to go to the very ends of the earth with this good news of his resurrection. And they, they wait until Jesus sends help through the Holy Spirit. It's great, isn't it, how it all starts off. The first few things that the Spirit does uh, in the church, he just think, what, what's the great barrier to this great commission, you know, to go to all nations? What's languages? You know, if we're going to go to the world with this message of Jesus, how are we going to talk to people? And the Spirit's like, don't worry, I'll deal with that. I'll, I'll give you the gift of being able to speak in such a way where anyone from any nation will understand what you're saying. I'll remove that barrier from you. And the next thing is the Spirit raises Peter up to preach Jesus from the Psalms. To preach that resurrection of the dead from the Psalms. And off the back of that great sermon, the, the Spirit causes 3,000 people to repent and believe. And then this, this church is born in Jerusalem where they, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, to prayer and to fellowship, life together. And then this, this church gets persecuted and scatters. And one of the great proponents of that, the great persecutors of that church was this guy Saul, who in this, this miraculous conversion meets Jesus and becomes a great propagator of the gospel. And what does he do? He gets on with this business of planting churches wherever he can. Churches that are devoted to to those same things as that church in Jerusalem. And over the last few weeks, over the last few chapters, we've been seeing this journey of the Apostle Paul as he heads towards the superpower of the day. Rome, or the center of the superpower. Rome. And he's about to get there. Let's pick things up there in verse 11. It's been a tough old journey for Paul this last few chapters. Sometimes I think driving up that princess road at rush hour is a tough journey. But but look at the journey he's had. It's like storm. He gets caught in a storm. He gets bitten by this poisonous snake. And, uh, well, they they rest up. And then after three months in Malta head out on this Alexandrian ship. And as you'll all know, details in the Bible matter. Luke wants us to know that this Alexandrian ship has this figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. It's as if these these sailors, the people on this ship, are trusting in these two gods to direct their journey, to, to make the way safely to Rome. But we know that's not the case, is it? It's Jesus who's directing these events. He's the one that cannot be stopped. He's the one that wants Paul to get to Rome. And it's not, so it's not these two gods that are leading the way, directing this journey, but it is the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants him in Rome. And so it is going to happen. Do you know 
Do you know Jesus directing your life? Or are we putting our confidence in other things like these little twin, it might not be these twin gods, but in other things? Or do we know Jesus as the one who's directing our lives and the plans and purposes that he has for us? Well, verse 14, again, we get this detail where Paul's getting into Rome and these, these Christian brothers and sisters come to meet him. Fellowship. That, that's been a, a major theme in the book of Acts right from the beginning. And Christian fellowship, so important to the Apostle Paul. He loves spending time with other Christians. He loves fellowship. He loves church family. And if you read his prayers throughout the New Testament, his Christian brothers and sisters and, and the church family dominates his prayer life. He loves the church, and he loves being with his, his brothers and sisters in Christ. And we see there in verse 15 that, it, that he's encouraged. He's encouraged for this mission that he has. Do you, do you know that? that? That joy of Christian fellowship, of times like this. I don't know how you felt coming in tonight. You know, sometimes, maybe it's just me, but before some Christian gatherings, church gatherings, I just feel empty I just feel like I can't be bothered going and I'm supposed to be preaching at it. And it's, I feel like that. And then you get to spend time with your church family, Christian brothers and sisters. And suddenly the energy levels rise right to the top. I experienced this on Monday. We had a leaders meeting with TCC. And all of us confessed at the start of that night, we were just flagging. It was Monday. It was Monday. It wasn't even Friday. And uh, we were, we were flagging. But we opened up the scriptures and we prayed with one another and we shared. And we honestly could have gone all, I could have gone on all night. Could have gone on all night. Christian fellowship, huge in Acts, huge for the Apostle Paul as he's getting on with this mission that the Lord has sent him on. Well, from verse 16, Paul gets to Rome and he's under house arrest. So he has a little bit of freedom um, in, in a home, but he's there with a, with a soldier. Man, I'd love to have been that soldier. Just think of some of the conversations you'd have been able to have with, with Paul there. But here, he's got his first few days in Rome. And albeit he's under house arrest. But what, what's his priority? What's his priority? I mean, for me, when I go to a new, a new city, I was in Malaysia. Uh, or I've been to Malaysia before, but, you know, I was there in the summer. And, and for me, it's like, where's the first place I'm going to eat? I'm thinking food. Uh, or where am I going to visit? What sites am I going to see? For Paul, it's evangelism. His, his top priority. Maybe he could have gone out with his, with his soldier friend to the sites. But no, his, his top priority is evangelism. He's, he's, he's bursting to tell others about Jesus. Check it out there in verse 17 onwards. He invites all of the local Jewish leaders... And he wants to share his story and his faith in Christ with them. Can you see there from from verse 17? My brothers, although I've done nothing wrong against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. 
Did you notice anything there? Any similarities with Jesus? Just think, just hear that again. He'd done nothing wrong against the Jews and their customs. Just like Jesus. He's arrested in Jerusalem, just like Jesus. He's examined and found to be innocent, just like Jesus. The Jews objected, just like what happened to Jesus. Paul's life looks like Jesus's. Paul's sufferings look like Jesus's. I think that's one of the big things here in this whole book, but in this passage. If we want to be part of this divine global revolution of Jesus, he's calling us to live lives that look like his. His great commission was for us to teach one another to obey everything that he's commanded. To live like him. To suffer like him. Of course, Paul doesn't go to his, his death here. His, his mission was to go to Rome to evangelize. That's where the similarities with Jesus ends. Jesus doesn't go to Rome. He goes to the cross. That's his great mission. His death and his resurrection, which of course he achieves. But Luke's constantly doing this in the book of Acts and in, and in part one, his gospel of Luke. He's constantly making this point, Jesus, then us. Jesus, then us. What Jesus does, we do. What Jesus does, we do. Just think about Pentecost. Do you remember the Spirit being poured upon the church for the ministry and the mission that we have? Think back to Luke and Jesus as he begins his ministry and his mission. What does the Father do? He pours out his spirit upon him for the ministry and mission that God was calling him to. So in, in, in Luke and Acts, Luke's constantly making this point, what Jesus does, we do. And this is a great theme of the Apostle Paul in his writing. In, in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he'll say, follow me as I follow Christ. Or in, in Philippians, let me just turn this up. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. For Paul, for following Jesus, we're living like him. But even more than that, we're suffering like him, like Paul does. And we see that the in Acts 28. We're part of this global revolution, divine revolution. We're to live like Jesus, to suffer like Jesus, to take up our cross so that we might be raised with Christ. And the great, the great thing about when we suffer like Jesus, like Paul does here in these verses, is that we suffer with Jesus or rather, he suffers with us. That's the great thing about it. We get him. We get him. I heard a story of a, a Syrian refugee, a lady, who was, who was talking about her time in Syria, where she was saying, look, out, out in Syria, I had everything. I had a car, a house, money, family, a job. 
but I didn't have Jesus. She said, I came to the UK and I lost everything. No longer had any car or house or money or family, but I found Jesus. And in him, everything that I need. We're part of this divine global revolution. We're we're to live like Jesus, to suffer with Jesus and we get him. Well, Paul, he, verse 20 there, he makes known that he's in chains because of the hope of Israel. Can you see that in verse 20? It's because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with this chain. He's got these these Jewish leaders in in his presence. And he wants to make clear that what, what he's teaching here in Jesus and his resurrection is not something that he's made up. It's not some new teaching that he's come up with. It's the hope of Israel. In other words, the story of Jesus is the story of the Old Testament. We can see that there in Paul's interactions with them. See, in verses 23-24, they, they want to hear more and, and more people come. Uh, and it says, Paul witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus so if that, that first call is to live like Jesus, to suffer with Jesus, the, the second call here is to witness to Jesus. That's what it means to be part of this divine global revolution, to witness to Jesus. And there, there's a challenge there. A whole day teaching Jesus from the Old Testament. Could we do that? Could we do that? Or let, let's just imagine there was a long lunch. <laughs> there's a long lunch and a few, you know, question and answer sessions for an hour. For one hour, could we teach about Christ from the Old Testament? Where would we turn? Where would we turn to? That's what Paul does. He reasons from the Old Testament with these people about Jesus. And see the verse 24. It's, it's sad but encouraging. Some were convinced about what he said, but others would not believe. The Apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest evangelist ever, had some success and some failure. Some believed, others didn't. But Paul and our job is not not to save, but it is to make Christ known, to bear witness to Jesus with anyone and everyone from the scriptures. But Paul wants to leave a challenge from verses uh, 20, 25 onwards. Paul recognizes that some of them are, are not bowing the knee to Jesus, not believing and repenting. And he picks up the, these words from Isaiah 6, these words from Isaiah's own commission from the Lord to go out and share the good news. And in Isaiah's day, he likewise had little success. Many, many people rejected his words. And Isaiah, as we, if we read Isaiah, he, what happens is he, he gets sent, doesn't he, to the nations. This global 
revolution. And likewise, in verse 28, Paul, on, on seeing that some of these, these folk will not turn to Christ, he says, therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the world, and they will listen. Praise God that Paul went to the nations. We're here today, this evening, because the gospel of Jesus Christ went out to the nations and has gone all over the world. And that, that work is still going on today. All around the world, churches have been making Jesus known, testifying to the truth of his resurrection. Well, there it is, this invitation into the global divine revolution of Jesus Christ. And the call there to live like Jesus, to share in his sufferings, but also to witness to Jesus, to anyone and everyone that we meet. And we might think about the people that God has put into our lives. It is our responsibility to make Jesus known. We're put, wherever we are, whether it's our, 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 our homes or our, our streets or our workplaces, it is our job to make Jesus known there. And may we pray for courage for that. But just as we draw this whole series to an end, verses 30 to 31, isn't this a strange end to this book? When you think about how this book began, it began with the death-conquering King Jesus ascending to heaven to rule and reign over the universe. That's how this book began. And it ends in a, with a guy in a house. Yeah? <laughs> Isn't that a strange ending? Doesn't it seem a bit anticlimactic? A bit of a decrescendo? But no, I think it's perfect. It's a perfect ending. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. What an end to this amazing book. What do those just couple of verses teach us as we draw this series to an end? It teaches us that God is in charge. That this guy, even if he's he, this, this greatest proponent of the gospel, even if he's stuck in a house, God isn't. And his word that's been moving out across the earth throughout this whole book will continue to move and to work and to reach out. God is in charge. Second thing is, is what we've been saying already. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. That call again, right at the end of Acts, to preach Jesus, to make Jesus known to everyone that comes into contact with us. Jesus isn't an, an evangelistic luxury, as if we, we might get there if we can in a conversation. No, no, he's the, he's the only evangelistic necessity Every conversation we have with someone, we want to make him, bring him into it and make him known. That's what Paul did. 
His, his priority was making Jesus known to everyone who came to see him. And this kingdom, this kingdom where Jesus is the king. And just that last thing, and we sung about it earlier, about Jesus welcoming people home. Isn't it great that it ends in a house? Because that is what Jesus is about. He's, in, he's about inviting people home. He's about it. Everything is done in his death and his resurrection and his ascension. And all that he's doing through his people throughout Acts is about inviting people home. It's about inviting people back into the family. With God as our father and Jesus as our brother. And, and God uses the ordinary, our own homes, to do the extraordinary. How are we using our homes? Are we using our homes in this way? To call people to our true home in God. Well, there it is, this global divine revolution of Jesus that he invites each one of us into. We were called to live like Jesus, to suffer with Jesus, and to bear witness to Jesus. Are you in on it? I know many are. I don't know everyone here. But praise God for those who are in on this global divine revolution of Jesus. And uh, may we get on with this stuff. May we proclaim the good news that Jesus is alive and that another kingdom is here. A great manifesto for the whole of, of human life in Jesus Christ and his teaching. If we're, not, if we're not part of this global divine revolution tonight, can I encourage you to talk to someone, someone who you trust, who knows Jesus, and get in on this, this great revolution that has taken over the whole world. And one day, Jesus the King is coming back to make all wrongs right, to establish his rule and his reign over the whole universe. Let's get in on that. Amen.